Hello, hello, and welcome to Edinburgh Entrepreneur's official podcast, a space for all ideas entrepreneurial. My name is Harry, and I'm the current vice president of the society. We welcome voices at all stages of their careers from all over the globe to offer you an international perspective of the entrepreneurial world. We will be welcoming Ahana from the skincare industry, joining us live from the UK. Ahana is a physics graduate from Imperial College London and has been building Clear full-time as the CEO since January 2021. Clear is the all-in-one debit card, social app, and database for skincare and was part of Y Combinator S21. Previously, Ahana completed investment banking spring weeks at HSBC in Nomura, as well as a summer internship at UBS in UK investment banking, where she secured a full-time role, which she rejected. Hello, and thank you to everyone for joining us today. Uh, this is one of our first episodes on the Entrepreneur Society podcast at the University of Edinburgh. And today we are joined with her. Uh, we've been joined by Ahana Banerjee, a very accomplished entrepreneur. Um, I'll just give a short description of her accomplishments so far and how exactly she is making a dent in the universe. Uh, we're also joined by Harry Dillingham, our vice president. So Ahana Banerjee is the CEO and co-founder of Clear App, a social skincare slash fintech company, um, an ambiguity which we'll be exploring during this podcast, hopefully. She recently graduated from Imperial College London and uh, rejected various offers in investment banking and private equity from reputed firms in order to start her own company. And uh, apparently in just four days, she got into Y Combinator, right? So Ahana, thank you for being with us here today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a, the pleasure is all mine, Hardik. I'm really, really excited to uh, to jump into some of the, the backstories behind some of the things that you've just mentioned. Awesome. So let's get started. Um, so could you please tell us a little bit about Clear? Because, you know, we're not exactly sure what it is. It comes off as a bit of a fintech company because you're issuing a debit card. Uh, at the same time, you know, the official descript- description says it's a social skincare company. Yes. So Clear is an integrated social app and verticalized neobank for skincare. So I know that's a bit of a mouthful. And what that means in plain English is that we are an app that lets people track their skincare routines. It's similar to Strava for people who are familiar with that platform where people are tracking their routines and then they're sharing it with a community. Now, the reason for building a social platform is that, you know, I personally have had skin issues for a very, very long time and as such spent literally every day of the last 10 years on the online existing skincare forums across Facebook, Reddit, Instagram, um, and, you know, uh, you know, there, there's so many and they've grown so much in the last couple of years, but there's no go to platform for the skincare community. And simultaneously, you know, I personally would have a pen and paper diary about what skincare products I was using. I would take progress pictures in my, um, you know, on my phone and my camera roll, send these to my GP to, to review and, and, you know, track progress together. And I'm still very much in that. So I still see my GP about my acne. I'm on medication for it and and tracking how that's working. So given that we knew that people, myself and the wider community already found ways of tracking their routines and given that, you know, people are learning about skincare on social media, but there's no platform for it. And actually the key factor behind a purchasing decision is seeing what somebody with skin like you is actually using day in, day out. How do you do that on the existing platforms? It's really, really hard. Whereas on Clear, we're already getting that data of what people are doing in their daily routines. And once we started talking to our users, we realized that people weren't comfortable sharing their unflattering progress pictures, but they were okay to share their product logs that they were doing every day. 
And as such, we designed Clear so that you share your routine with a community. You can find people by skin type. So if I want to find someone with oily, acne-prone skin of color, I can do that. I can see the content they're creating. But then we've added that layer of transparency where I can actually look into their diary and see exactly what they've been using morning, evening, and for how long. So that was really the, the social part of the community. But what we were actually seeing on the platform is that we had these 20,000 products in our database where people were interact with, interacting with them to, you know, to add them to their diary or leave reviews or talk about them. And we could see that our users were spending nearly $200 a month on skincare through our platform. Now, one of my other goals, and you know, being a student myself, skincare is expensive. And there is very, very little innovation in the field in general. And that's even on the social media content creation side, as I've talked about, on the payments and making it more accessible, and even to an extent on the cosmetic formulation and data element. So I wanted to tackle all three, starting with social community and then branching into payments. So what I realized is that having seen more and more neobanks launching in specific verticals, they've been building optimized rewards programs through partnerships with companies in the relevant vertical. So you have Mythia doing this for gamers, you've got Daylight doing this for the LGBTQ community. And what I realized about Clear is that we were very well positioned to also launch our own essentially neobank because we have relationships with the skincare brands and retailers. It's a very high margin business, meaning that we can get discounts to our users and the skincare market is also very crowded. So brands are looking for visibility and for them, Clear is the perfect platform to do so. So we've been able to negotiate up to 30% instant cashback when users buy skincare with their Clear debit cards. And the idea is that users pay a monthly subscription to access these discounts. It's kind of similar to Beauty Pie for those of, of you who are familiar with it. And essentially, the reason for doing this via debit card rather than affiliate program is because what it does is it puts us in the payment flow. And if we have people spending money with their clear cards, what we can do is we can approach the, the, the skincare brands and offer them business bank accounts. And the reason there's an incentive for them to take them is because for us, it doesn't cost us anything to process a transaction from clear business, from clear debit card account to clear business account, meaning that we can undercut their existing payments processes. So let's say they're using Stripe and Stripe takes 3%, we can beat them on that. So actually, they're also incentivized to sell through our platform because we charge them lower processing fees. And that's really our plan to innovate on the payment side. And then much longer term, what we're doing is we're collecting very valuable data from two perspectives. The first is on the user um, sort of skin progress side, because we are seeing exactly which ingredients combinations people are using twice a day, and then they're taking pictures of how their skin is changing with time. So we can actually give this data to the cosmetic formulators to help actually improve cosmetic formulation. And on the other side of it, there's there's data that the brands are actually very interested in because you know it's easy to measure retention or user numbers if you're a tech startup you can see downloads you can track it on your app but if you're a skincare company that's launched a new product line how do you track retention how do you track usage you can't but we are tracking that data we can see if people are using their products how they're using them for how long and actually that's data that the brands are really interested in so long-term the vision is also to innovate in in the data space uh, I've never heard such a comprehensive answer from a founder in the past. So, I mean, it just shows how well you understand your product. And if I'm not wrong, you sort of started off with just sort of aggregating information and you sort of pivoted slash branched out into other things like uh, payment processing, handing out debit cards, uh, instant cashback, and maybe now monetizing the data that you have access to. So that's absolutely amazing. Exactly. Right. Thank you. Um, 
I've been going through some of the content you put online, and uh, it appears that you didn't actually start with uh, this particular idea at the very beginning. It sounds like you started more with an idea for uh, an app to transcribe notes during meetings, if I'm not wrong. And yes. that's the application, that's the company with which you made an application to Y Combinator, right? Exactly. So, can you please tell us how you sort of uh, went from that to this, because the two are completely different things. Yeah, right? absolutely. And uh, how Y Combinator played into the sort of uh, jump from one to the other. Yeah, 100%. So th this story kind of starts a little bit, um, you know, maybe around June of 2020, um, when, you know, pandemic had hit, I just finished my third year of university. And I had always worked on a lot of personal side projects throughout uni, I worked for another startup at uni as well. And I absolutely loved it, um, but I didn't really think that I'd be able to, you know, start my career in my own startup. I'd done a lot of internships and investment banks, things like that, very much the more standard grad role path. But given that, you know, COVID had hit, societies and extracurriculars were affected, and the thought of just doing physics for one whole year terrified me. So I literally just reached out to some friends. I thought this is the best time that we can work on a side project together. It might not go anywhere, but you know, there, there's nothing to lose. We just do it alongside our studies and it'll be fun. So so I called up to my friends. I just asked them, you know, pitch them if they want to join me working on something. They said yes. And we sat down, we brainstormed ideas. And at the time, for whatever reason, we thought that we had to build something to solve a business problem. We just didn't. I think none of us had really worked in consumer startups. And we thought that for it to like be big and scalable, it has to affect a business. So we sat down, brainstormed. And one of the problems that we faced personally was taking meeting minutes. And we all hated it, especially as junior employees. You know, me having worked in banking, that's something that you are made to do often as a junior is take meeting minutes. And nobody enjoys meeting minutes. So that was kind of the, the initial idea. Um, and then I think we were about a week into working on that. And uh, my co-founder, who just spent a year at MIT, was talk talking to me about Y Combinator. Now, at the time, I knew nothing about YC. I didn't know the names of venture capital firms. I knew literally nothing. But I went on the website and I saw a big orange apply button. And I am the type who has a track record of applying to things that I'm grossly underqualified for. And <laughs> so I, I did exactly that. I put in an application to YC. Um, my co-founders laughed at me. They didn't even read the application. It was like a pain to convince them to get, to, you know, to record the application video as well. But in the end, I did it, and you know, we didn't really think anything of it. Um, but then a month later, we heard back from YC saying that we had an interview, and we couldn't, we couldn't believe that we'd even had an interview. And at that point, we hadn't spoken to a single customer or written a single line of code. So we talked to a YC alumni, like told them the situation, told them what we were working on and asked them for advice. And they were grossly unimpressed with us. I won't name names, but um, they were like, wait, so you literally don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, and so at that point, we changed the strategy and we started talking to people and we started writing some code so people could actually use the software. Now, the more we got into this, the more we realized that so we weren't just tackling the transcription, we were also tackling the summarization part of meetings. And that's really hard. There's a reason that it doesn't exist in you know, common meetings because it's not an easy thing to do for experts in natural language processing, let alone three undergraduate physics students who only had very basic machine learning knowledge. So we somehow pumped out an alpha version that probably destroyed your meeting productivity, but we managed to get it running at 15 startups. So they were using it in their meetings, I think just as a favor because I begged and pleaded them. And we had our YC interview. 
Now, the feedback from our interview was that they liked our team, but they didn't like our idea. So they said, look, we want to talk to you in a week's time, come up with something better or show us more traction on Quill. Now, the thing for us is that we'd already had this realization that Quill was going to be a really hard product to build and we probably weren't the right team for it. And also, like, yes, we didn't like taking meeting minutes, but it wasn't something that we hated that much. I was still willing to do it at the end of the day. So we thought long and hard about, you know, what's a problem that has actually affected us? And if we want to have an impact with our careers, and this is a serious opportunity, what can we do? And it was actually, you know, in that week that we had in between, um, I, me and my co-founder, Ben, had a brainstorm. And it was actually when I went on a break to, to the, the bathroom and I saw my array of skincare. I had my skincare YouTuber playing in, in the background. And I had that realization that, wow, I have literally spent, as I said, every day of the last 10 years in these online forums. I still see my GP about this. I know what the systems are. And there is so little innovation. There is so much room for improvement here. So that's really how we came up with, with clear version zero. Back then we were called Hout. Um, ran back to my co-founder in a four-day period. We did 60 user interviews, built a landing page, got 300 signups. Then exams ended for my co-founder at 12 p.m. on the Friday. From 12 p.m. till 8 p.m., he built the prototype. 8 till 10, I did four user demos. And then 10.30 was our interview with YC. And what became very apparent to us in our second interview, which went on for a full hour, was that we actually knew a lot about this space just from, I mean, the years of being in, in the space, but then also the due diligence we'd done over that week. And we realized that we were onto something and there was actually room for improvement here. So we had the interview and it ended very abruptly with it just kind of being like, cool, that starts in two weeks, incorporate a company in the US, open a bank account, see you then. And we had no idea what was happening. Keep in mind, this was around midnight. It was our last day of term. We'd just broken up for Christmas. And we just got into YC. We didn't know which idea. We didn't like we didn't know anything. Um, so then very quickly, like, you know, we emailed our department at Imperial. We asked if we could go on an interruption of studies. Um, and uh, and really, we, we hit the ground running. We refined the idea, did a lot of uh, user interviews, figured out exactly what we wanted to build. And, uh, and yeah, really incorporated the company, did all the, the legal stuff over Christmas last year and, and started work in January. Awesome. That's a fascinating story. So based on everything you just mentioned, it sounds like the bet was more on you and your experience and your co-founder as well, as opposed to the idea that you were pitching. So in your opinion, what exactly was it? I mean, uh, did they scan your LinkedIn profile? Did they look at your IB grades? What was it about you that uh, they liked so much without yeah. even you presenting the idea for the skincare product initially? It's it's honestly a great question, and the truth is, I will never know what they saw in me uh, and my team. But I think what definitely sort of like put the nail in the coffin, or, or like was it was a cherry on top rather. It's a positive thing. Was for the second interview, the amount of progress that they saw in just a four day period, I think, is what swung it for them because they realized that whether or not we've landed on the next billion dollar idea, we're a team that can make things happen. And that's what they're looking for, because the idea is only that one, to be honest, small part of what makes a business successful, especially in my view, it's all about the execution, which is also why I'm always totally open with sharing ideas if I come up with one, because if somebody else can execute on the idea that I'm working on, then I'm not the right person to be building it. There has to be a reason that I have a unique advantage to build this and that I have the track record of making things happen. And so I think that's really what did it for them. Um, you could argue that we had like, 
I guess, like good CVs, like we'd gone to good universities, but to be honest, many people have. And actually what I've learned now is that having like a great university name on your CV or having the top grades, it doesn't correlate to the people who are able to get things done always. You know, oftentimes I think there's an intelligence threshold where as long as you're above it, it's more about your attitude and how you approach problems rather than your pure level of intellect. And as such, I don't really think that it was that that, that convinced them. I think it was more just that they could see that we were a very proactive team and always you know, consistently got ourselves involved in opportunities, went above and beyond. Um, and so I, I think that's what did it, but uh, I'll never know really <laughs> why they took that chance on us. Awesome, I mean, on that particular, thing that you mentioned about the intelligence threshold i wonder whether you picked that idea from the outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. i did outliers is my favorite book yes there you go i mean and hopefully you'll be one someday and it'll talk about how your physics background maybe helped you build a billion dollar company mm -hmm. we we'll hope so we hope so um on top of that you mentioned that you know you've been uh negotiating with some big skincare brands and that you've got about up to 30% cash back for your users, right? Yeah. So, and honestly, you've done this without being, I don't know, Facebook, right? So you don't exactly have an app that has millions of users. You don't exactly um, have a background where you've sold a company previously for billions of dollars, despite your current accomplishments, right? So how exactly do you approach these big companies? And, you know, why do you think, do they give you this kind of importance? Is it because of YC? Is it because of something else? And then how exactly do you negotiate with them? Do you just walk into a Primark like that? Yeah, so I think what it really is, is that people in the field understand what's missing. So when I approached the brands to discuss what we're building, they just thought it was cool. To, to be completely honest, that's the thing. No one has done what we're trying to do. They thought it was innovative. And for the small chance that this becomes the, the TikTok of skincare, the next big platform for this community, it's worth them to take a chance because they're not losing money from it. And this is where it being a high margin business is very helpful. And this is also where it being a very competitive business is helpful, because if we get one brand on our platform that agrees to give us a good rate, then it makes sense for all of their competitors to otherwise that that, you know, the competitor that's that's on the platform has that advantage because then our users, no matter how small we are, are still talking about the product and they don't know how quickly we're going to grow. Neither do we. But what we have shown is that we have grown very quickly in the couple of months that we've been around. And so the way that we went about it, we had sort of three main channels um, for, for getting brand partnerships. So the first was through um, standard affiliate networks. So there's platforms like Awin, Share a Sale, where like if you're an influencer, you can sign up for it and, and form that connection. The second was through warm introduction. So for example, I have a family friend, she worked at Estee Lauder for 15 years and she's very well connected in sort of the marketing, skincare, cosmetic space. And literally just going through any friends, family, people in YC who've built skincare companies, trying to get warm introductions that way. And the third was through cold outreach, literally just finding brands on the internet and emailing them cold. And the way that I started the negotiations I mean, the, the very first one I had was totally random. I literally like just was was testing the idea to see if we could get a better sort of affiliate rate. And it was one, with one of the affiliate partners and we were on a standard, I think it was like 7% affiliate fee. And I just asked them, I said, like, look, can we jump on a call? I'm not an influencer. Like I'm actually building a platform for skincare. Can we talk about it? And when I explained the idea, I just asked them at the end, I said, would you give us a better rate? And they asked me, well, what do you want? 
And I picked a number out of thin air and I said, uh, how about 20%? And they said, sure. And this was actually sort of a medium-sized online retailer where the margins are slightly smaller than for a brand. So I was like, huh, that wasn't so hard. So then I strategically reached out to smaller indie brands who have less leverage than a retailer and higher margins. And then I asked them for 30%. And it was actually pretty easy because I had these brands asking me if we had a platform fee. So they thought they had to pay to get their products on our platform. And I said, no, 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 you don't have to pay. It's totally free for you. We are giving you that visibility. It's only if somebody makes a purchase through our platform that we take a commission, but you're still making money from it and you're getting visibility against the bigger brands and retailers. So that's really how we went about it. But it was a very, very manual process, one by one, having these individual conversations, starting with the smaller brands and then working our way up. Awesome, so it actually sounds like, um, you know, a lot of people become affiliate marketers online and you sort of built an entire platform. Uh, that's actually a great insight again into this because you know, I've been following your YouTube channel. I've been looking at your LinkedIn posts, but th uh, this was a fresh way of looking at it that, you know, you, you sort of a sales channel, a sales funnel for these uh, skincare companies. Exactly. exactly. Except that unlike other content creators, you were not just advertising it on your TikTok while doing a dance. You were building a platform with potentially millions, if not tens of millions of, I don't know, maybe hundreds of millions of users. Exactly. So, yeah, that's absolutely amazing. Uh, speaking about your negotiation skills, you know, mm -hmm. um, that you apparently managed to get a TikTok user to, um, I don't know, advertise your product or sort of uh, work with you of sorts without a big monetary incentive. It was uh, it was uh, an Instagram uh, influencer. Yeah. So it was this uh, this Russian um, influencer. She's got a million followers. And uh, she's a photographer. She has some fantastic work. And the story is honestly, again, it, it's hilarious. But this is where it was actually my mum, who is Clear's number one fan, our biggest salesperson. My mum has consistently been my biggest supporter from day one. Now, this story actually started with, uh, you know, my parents live in quite a nice, like fancy condo in London where there's like a pretty cool swimming pool. And my mum just posted a picture on her Instagram of this pool. And this photographer wanted to take some artsy pictures of the pool. But unfortunately, to get into the pool, you need to like go through a resident. So this this lady cold messages my mum on Instagram saying, can you get me up to the pool? And my mum, you know, she <laughs> she is not an influencer to, to, to be specific, but she she also doesn't look like the mother of a of a 20, 22 year old. She looks very young. She's uh, her skincare routine is great. So she. Um, so my mum was just like, you know, what, what can I lose? Like, it's in my own house. If it's a weird person, then we just don't let them up. So my mum said, sure, like, let's meet. Let's go for it. And this, this lady shows up and she's a very eccentric um, photographer. She makes my mum wear this big, like, floaty dress and walk up and down this pool, which is full of, like, 20-year-old influencers. And then my mum's just there in a long dress, like, holding a camera on a pole, doing all this stuff. But my mum and this photographer really hit it off very well. And so the photographer decided just to stay for dinner with my family and I wasn't there. So I, I, I don't live with my parents, but she um, my mum mentioned me um, and uh, and said what I was working on. And, and this photographer's sister is actually a doctor who was quite interested in the dermatology applications of clear. Uh, but in any case, my mum just had her WhatsApp number. They decided to stay in touch. And I just asked my mum if I could have her WhatsApp and message her and ask her for a collaboration. Now, the other issue is that this photographer's English isn't very good, but one of my team members is Russian. And so I thought, OK, 
we can get a translator because normally this photographer, she carries around a physical translation device to speak. So what we ended up doing was I just asked her, I was like, can I just have like 15 minutes of your time, jump on a call? And she was like, no, like my English. I said, I will provide the translator. Like, let's we'll, we'll do it that way. And she agreed to it. And then again, I just like calmly, slowly explained exactly what the app does and the help and support that we're looking for. Um, and then this is like the other part of negotiations that I'm slowly learning and getting better at is just asking, asking for what I want and being less fearless. So I just explained to her and I said, can you promote us on your Instagram? And she said, well, what are you looking for? And I said, well, like a post would be good. Here are some ideas. Or if you want to start with, we can do a story. And then she was like, well, you know, my aesthetic's very artsy. Like, what sort of ideas do you have? And I said, I don't know, like bubbles, glitter, what, whatever will match your aesthetic. We don't want to look, to look overly salesy. But something that's beautiful and something where you link our profile, I will send you the text to do it. And she said, OK. And it was really as simple as, as that. So we had the conversation. She's an extremely professional lady. About a week later, she sent over the video that she'd created with her, her photography work. I sent her my um, like the text to put on top and I asked her if she could pin it to the top of her feed like she'd uh, done with some of her other work. And she said yes, and it's still there, which was incredible again. And it just came from asking her. It was, and don't get me wrong, people have said, no, I have asked for many things and it has not worked out. But one of my biggest learnings from this whole experience is that you oftentimes the opportunities come from places that you're really not expecting, but you are guaranteed a no if you don't ask in the first place. So you can't lose by putting yourself on a whim and just trying. So, so that was really, really incredible. Awesome. That's great practical intelligence on your end, something that Malcolm Gladwell also talks about in the outliers and how that's important for success. Um, moving on, so you obviously possess a bunch of skills, right? And you're very accomplished, you've been very accomplished through university. Uh, however, you obviously need a team to build a big successful company. So I'm curious, like, what are the things that you're not good at? Uh, asking obviously isn't one of them. And how exactly do you have team members coming in to compensate for those deficiencies? Yeah, so, so I mean, something I would say with an early stage startup is I think that it's super important that the founders have done every job themselves. And the reason for that is because I think it creates a lot more empathy when you do hire. And I think it also creates a much better awareness of what your shortcomings are. So I have done everything that we've had to do. I have written code. I have done legal. I have done taxes. I've done accounting. I've done beta testing. I've talked to users. I've done strategic marketing. I've done social media marketing, content creation. I have done every job that has needed to be done. And what I've realized that I'm not so good at, and I, I didn't realize this recently, this was a realization in 2019 when I did my first software internship, is that I did not want to be a software engineer. Um, I can code. I, I launched an app and the app's pretty good, but I do not enjoy it and I'm not great at it. There are people who are much, much better developers than I am. And we always joke on the team when there's a really janky solution, if you know, if it's like a, a like a, a Boolean statement, like a true or false, I'm the type of person that will do really stupid things like say, you know, if not true rather than saying if false. So really silly things. That, that's kind of my coding style. You can see if I've written a line of code, I get stuff that works, but it's not always very good or very elegant. So that's one of the, my biggest shortcomings is that I can code as a means to an end, but I'm not a developer at heart and I also don't really enjoy it very much. So 
as such, hiring for tech is one of the main things I've done. And I'm, I'm fortunate my co-founder, my, my now CTO, he does enjoy the tech stuff. And he, uh, you know, we started actually on a very similar level. But I think, you know, when you love something, you do get better at it. And he loves it a lot more than I do. So I'd say that's definitely one thing. Another sort of skill that I'm trying to get better at is social media. Um, especially because our business, you know, we, we actually have a very wide age demographic, you know, it's quite homogenous from the ages of 15 to 45. And I'm much better at the strategic side of the marketing, you know, figuring out how to have the conversations, who to contact, like how many people to contact. But in terms of creating my own content specifically on TikTok and Instagram are, are certainly weaknesses of mine because I was not a very avid social media user for the reason that I thought these platforms were, were toxic, which is why I was trying to build a more transparent social media platform. But that does mean that I'm not that good at Instagram and I'm really not that good at TikTok. You know, I'm not the type of person that will post like a dance in a bikini. So it's the type of thing. But but, but at the same time, I, I recognize how valuable these platforms are for marketing, especially for, for a consumer business like ours. And so again, one of the hires I want to make is on the, um, the the social media marketing side. Another big thing quickly that I'm also pretty bad at is UX design. Um, so when it comes to like picking out details of how something looks, like I'm very much like results oriented. I just like to keep pushing things forward. But building and designing an app is when I realized how important small changes are. And I think oftentimes I like to zoom out and make lots of decisions. But I don't like spending too long on individual things, which for UX design, you kind of need that skill. You need to be able to sit there for a very long time and critique the smallest of things that can actually have big changes. And, and it's the same reason I didn't go into a career of physics and academia. It's you spend a long time working on minute details and it's important. Don't, it's very important, but it's not my strength. So I actually had a friend from school. Um, she, she designed the whole app, which is why it looks nice. I have not designed it. Um, and she's been absolutely fantastic. She was just a friend from school. She was into UX design and she's into skincare. And so again, when, I, uh, when I'm done with fundraising, she will be amongst my, my first hires. Awesome, that was absolutely wonderful. Um, now, Vice President Harry has to ask uh, your question, very relevant to the things you just mentioned, actually. So one of the key sort of areas you mentioned about, it's sort of the technical side of the business. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you first began, you didn't have a technical co-founder. How was that? How did that work? And was that quite difficult? What were the disadvantages with that? Yeah, so, so for us, that if you remember, when I said we applied to YC, we were a team of three. Um, so it was me and my co-founder. So we were both physicists. And then we had my other friend who was a um, physics undergrad, but he just started a computer science master's. And he'd been coding since he came out of the womb. He was by far the best software engineer I knew. The problem is that he didn't want to do YC and he didn't want to do a startup. So keep in mind, we'd just been accepted to YC because they liked our team and then we lost a third of our team. And in fairness to him, he's still one of my best friends to this day. It, was an, it wasn't, you know, a, a bad parting. Um, and in fairness to him, I think he made the right decision. You know, he wanted a job that paid him a lot of money and where he had his weekends and he had a life outside of work, which with a startup, you don't really get. And I think he was brave to admit that openly to us and early enough. You know, he didn't lead us on by any means. So... We lost our, our CTO going into YC, which then begged the question, well, me and my co-founder, you know, my, my, my co-founder, Ben, he'd just done his master's thesis at MIT. It was a computational sort of atmospheric physics master. So he did have that background. I had also done a tech internship. So it's not like I couldn't code. And like with a physics degree, you do need quite a lot of coding abilities and skills. 
So we both could write code. It was more just that, as I said, after my tech internship, I ruled out software engineer as a career because I did not enjoy it. And my co-founder also had net, like, it wasn't really what he saw himself doing. So from January to March, we hired a contractor and we were looking for new CTOs. To cut a very long story short, our experience hiring then was a disaster. So I'm not going to go into the details, but the contractor was... <laughs> I don't think he was a legal resident of the country he claimed to be in, and I don't think he paid his taxes either. So <laughs> that's where I'll leave it. And as soon as we discovered that, we, we kindly parted ways. And in fairness, once we like said goodbye, he didn't cause us any trouble. Um, and hiring a CTO was a lot harder than we thought because it was hard to find a good quality candidate who was actually in it for the right reasons. You know, we had a lot of people who just wanted like the YC jumpers, the YC bottles to like chat with the cool investors and all of that stuff. And it was hard to find someone who really just loved the tech and especially because it's skincare, right? There's not that many amazing computer scientists who also love skincare. So. That was the, the, the other challenge we had. And what happened is we got to March, which is when YC Demo Day is. We had a super active beta community. We knew exactly what we had to build and what people wanted. But because of the, the bad contractor and bad potential CTO, we had no app, meaning that we had nothing really to show investors. And at the time, um, we had to make a difficult decision because we could have tried to fundraise then with no app and no traction or we could defer demo day. So rather than present with the winter 21 batch that we were accepted to, push it back by a couple of months, present with summer 21 demo day. Um, the difficulty there is that one of our investors was offering us 100K on the condition that we did do demo day in March. So, and we didn't know if that money would be there if we deferred. And that's not a small amount of money that would have doubled our runway then and there. But we decided to make the hard decision of not pre presenting and building the app. And the next thing that happened is, you know, I was I was <laughs> ranting to a, a batchmate in YC because we, we went through a lot of stress with the contractor and, and CTO. And I was really upset, like talking about what had happened with them. And she just said, like, why can't you build this yourself? Like, you've seen the quality of these other people that you've tried to hire. Don't tell me you're worse than that. Like, if you could get a tech job, how can like, what do you mean you can't do this? And I thought, you know what, that, that's right. Like I've had this mindset that I'm not a tech person, but actually I am. I have a physics degree. I could have worked in tech if I wanted to. And it's worth a try. It's worth a try. Me and my co-founder, again, we have that base level intelligence. Yes, we've never launched a mobile app, but we've done JavaScript. We can code. Let's just try it. So in April, we hit a reset. We decided, you know, obviously it goes out saying, got rid of the contractor, forgot, forgot about hiring a new CTO. And me and my co-founder were just heads down for two months. And in that two months, we built an app that was a million times better than what the contractor and um, potential CTO could have done. And this is also where it was important that we kept the relationship with the initial CTO, the one that didn't, you know, wasn't officially part of the company. He was still a close friend. He didn't want to see us fail. And so I kept the relationship and I asked him for help, you know, when it came to structuring, making some more sort of tech architectural decisions where that's where my knowledge is lacking a bit. He was almost like a mentor to us, even though he wasn't day to day writing code. He did help us. And we also had similar networks from YC and from other communities where we just had friends who were willing to give us some insight on the tech to help us make the important decisions. 
Um, and yeah, we, we launched the app on time in June. And since then, as I said, my co-founder actually started to really enjoy writing code. So he's now become our CTO. Um, and then I moved away from, from tech to start negotiating with brands and getting those juicy deals for our customers. Wow, that sounds amazing. Um, and obviously a very busy time period. So that sort of begs the question, what was happening with your university studies then? Yeah, so as I mentioned, when we got into YC, the first thing we did was contact our department to go on an interruption of study. So we were not studying during that period. And for me, I was in a very fortunate position where I was on a four year integrated master's course. But in my third year, I had done a bachelor's project, meaning that I'd fulfilled the requirements to actually graduate with a BSc. Um, so, so what's happening with me is that I went on the interruption of studies and then a couple of like months ago, I just told the department, like, sorry, not coming back. Uh, I would like my bachelor's now, please. Um, and, and, it, and it made sense for me as well, because truth be told, I didn't enjoy my degree and I was really excited to leave. And a bachelor's was enough for me anyway, that there was no real reason I was doing a master's. Um, so, yeah, made the decision to, to kind of waste the work I did in first term of my fourth year take the bachelor's degree and commit to clear full time. So we were not studying uh, during that period. Okay, that makes absolute sense. Yeah, that answers my question completely. Now sort of moving on a bit to sort of the competitive landscape, uh, mostly with Stripe, how do you sort of compare to a platform like Stripe and how do you compete against them? Yeah, so I think, you know, it, it's interesting because the only part where we compete with Stripe is on the payments processing. And that's only a small part of our, our business because we've gone after such a specific vertical. So actually, I wouldn't really look at, at Stripe as one of our competitors because they are, you know, they are basically synonymous with the word fintech, right? Like they offer so many different financial services to companies. And we're not that. We are offering a very specific financial service to a specific type of company. Um, and because we are focusing into such a niche in, in skincare, we can afford to undercut them on that one service. But what we are not aiming to do is build out a full-fledged fintech. So that's why when it comes to you know, launching our debit cards, we are not going directly to the bank. It's not going to take us two years to launch them. We use a middle layer banking as a service provider. And actually Stripe offers a service like that where you can just plug in their APIs into your back end and launch your own card service. And it's it's a bit lighter touch. There's some more restrictions. The interchange fees aren't as good, but it's easier to get, get it off the ground. And because the, the debit card is not our whole business, our whole business is changing the way skincare works through community through payments and through data. Given that it's only a small part of our business to begin with, we aren't, you know, we don't have an optimized program. I'm sure if, if we spent two years working on it, going directly to the banks, negotiating with every bank, like we've done with every brand partner, we could compete more with Stripe, but it's not our focus because we're going after the vertical rather than the FinTech horizontal, which is what Stripe have done. Perfect, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm now gonna hand back to Hardik now to ask the final question. Thank you for those insightful questions, Harry. Um, so moving on, you know, you obviously got into YC early on. You got in in December, which was, uh, I don't know, a few weeks, a few months after you'd started working on the initial um, meeting notes app, right? Yes. Um, and that's when you sort of applied for an interruption of studies. You took a big step, graduated with a B eng instead of an M eng. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious, you know. Where do you think would you be today if uh, YC hadn't said yes to you in that meeting? Would you have still dropped out slash taken an interruption of studies or would you have maybe graduated with your degree and then continued with Clear or yeah. would you have maybe gone into investment banking instead? 
it, you know, it's, it's a great question. And obviously part of me wants to say that I would have taken the step anyway, because now, you know, this many months in, I look at what my life would have been as a banker and not to say it's bad or it would have been the wrong choice, but I, I couldn't imagine myself doing anything other than what I'm doing today when I, when I look at it. But I recognize that getting into YC did de-risk things to a large extent because it showed somebody else taking that bet on me. Now, at the same time when we were talking to YC, we were also talking to other investors about the meeting minutes automation software. And we did have another investor who was quite serious. So I think that had we received either investment, like we would have made the same decision. It didn't necessarily have to be from YC. We wanted the YC investment more because there's everything else associated with Y Combinator aside from the money. Um, but I was looking for reasons to make this my career. And so if anyone external had given me a signal or even in the business, if we'd have had a big breakthrough or a big customer or, or a big win, I think that would have been enough to push me. So it didn't have to be YC. I think just a big win would have been enough to convince me. But truth be told, if if nothing big had happened, so if we didn't get any investment, if we, you know, the, the especially if we stuck with the meeting notes idea, if we didn't make a significant improvement to the tech, which we kind of needed, because the, there's only so long you can get away with saying it's an alpha version and we're going to get better when you're not really sure if it's actually going to get better. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd be doing this. And the other thing is, I've always wanted to work in the skincare space and, and build here. But I think it was that kind of week that YC forced us into, which forced me. It was kind of like, I feel so close, right? Like they've said that they like us. This is my opportunity to effectively change the, my career path. And I always knew that I wanted to be, um, well, I, I say always, when I got to university, I thought I wanted to be an astrophysicist and very quickly realized that one, I'd probably not be a very good one. And secondly, um, I think there were a career path that I would enjoy more. And ultimately, I wanted my, my career to have an impact. And what I started realizing as I got through university is that to a large extent, it's the companies that make decisions about society. You know, it's Twitter who's deciding what free speech looks like in India or deciding whether the president of the United States should be able to speak, which is immense power to have. And even as a large company, you set the culture for so many people in their lives. And I wanted a job with a big impact like that. Now, I knew banking is a route to get there. You know, you get great exposure to, you know, top CEOs and C-level executives from a really early age, which you don't get in a lot of other career paths. So I recognize that about banking. But I always had this longer term vision of being in charge of a big company. And not that my ideals are better or worse than anyone else's, but I do think they're different. I don't think you see as many leaders that, that look like me that have my kind of background. And I think that's important. We know diversity improves productivity in workplaces. And I do think that to an extent, I, I want to change some things about the way people work. You know, it's been found in a lot of studies that agreeableness does not correlate to work success. But I believe that you can be nice. I don't think you have to, to be aggressive. I think truly you can play nice and be successful. And that's what I want to prove. And as such, it was then a question, well, how do I have this impact? I could do it the banking route, do banking for a couple of years, build up my network, build up some money so I could put it into my own company in a couple of years, which is why when the opportunity with YC came, I thought this is this is my chance, right? Like I will never learn more than I will from running my own startup. How on earth would I learn how to do taxes, accounting, launch a debit card program, get users, build an app? Like I have forced myself to learn so many things through doing this. 
And I'm so grateful for it because no other job could have given me this kind of training, if, if that's the way you look at it. It's like a training ground. And I want Clear to be the next billion dollar company, and that's the plan. But the way I see it is I've gone into this as a learning opportunity. And given that it's a learning opportunity, I can't fail because I have already learned so, so much. So I think having that insight now, if I'd have had this maybe like a year ago, I would have taken the risk without having any backing. But at the time, I did not have that confidence or that insight, and I wouldn't have. But I do think it's an important thing to consider that not everyone is in a position where they can afford to take the risk. So keep in mind, I'd saved about 20 grand from summer internships throughout university. So I wouldn't be starving on the street. Like I had money that I'd worked for throughout uni. And for me, I'd also got grad job offers and I was able to get deferrals. So I also had the safety of, well, if this truly doesn't work out and I have to get a job, I can still get a job. And then there was the added facet of, especially now that I have YC on my CV, it's not like my career has gone downhill. Like uh, hopefully I'd, I'd hope that an employer in the future would recognize that this was a great experience, not a, a gap in my, in my learning experience. So that there's a lot of factors to weigh up. And I also don't think startups are for everyone. But now knowing how much I have loved it, and, and that's not to say it's been easy. There have been many, many ups and downs, and it's very emotionally draining at times. But this is my dream job. And now knowing that, like, I would make this decision again. And that's a wrap for this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, do make sure to leave us a rating on the platform you are listening on. For updates about our events, do check out our website or our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in our next episode.